0: Greetings and salutations to you on this first day of April, also known as April Fool's Day. Use extra caution when surfing the web today, checking Twitter. Hopefully no one's got you too bad yet. We have got plenty of sports to get your mind off it. We have got NCAA hockey to break down. Clay Matt Vick of ESPN will join the show here in a couple of minutes. We've got a fantastic weekend of college basketball. Maybe the greatest weekend in all of the NCAA tournament's history this weekend. And now we get to break down the final four. Michigan State punching their ticket to Minneapolis. We have got the Brewers and the Tigers both starting their seasons over the weekend. The Bucks and the Pistons continue to fight for playoff positioning. And Calumet has been named Kraft Hockeyville USA 2019. All that to break down over the next hour. But first... Let's start with college hockey. and We bring in Clay Matvick of ESPN. He called the NCAA hockey tournament Western Regional in Fargo this weekend. Clay, thanks so much for being on the show with us. Tell me a little about what you saw out there in Fargo and how things went from your perspective.
1: Well, AIC was the surprise of the tournament. Um, even though they only lasted one game, the fact that they won that one game was remarkable. I mean, they, they were the Cinderella story. Um, AIC had been basically an afterthought in college hockey for 20 years. I think this is their 21st year's Division I program. And not only was this their first NCAA tournament appearance, but it was the first time they had a winning record. So, I mean, it really was remarkable. And uh, They don't have much of a budget, never have, still don't. But Eric Lang, um, who went to AIC, really took on a job that he thought he could you know, get improvement and get improvement pretty fast. And and he's used a a European model, so to speak. He's got a lot of Europeans on the roster. He's got a lot of Canadians on the roster. Mixed in there with some really talented Americans, and he's built something there in a short amount of time that um, has led to success. And, you know, whether he stays there long-term or not, I don't know. But uh, he has proven that that model can work, and he's got a bright future in the game without a doubt, whether it be there or somewhere else. But that, that was really the story when they beat St. Cloud State on Friday night. The Huskies just can't seem to get over their issues of NCAA tournament underachievement. That makes them now, let's see, do the arithmetic here. They're 5-15 and all-time in the national tournament. And that goes back to the late 80s. So it's something that they're going to have to get over. Can't exercise those demons. I don't know what it is. That's two years in a row they've lost the 16 seed in the tournament out of Atlanta hockey. And then in the other games, uh, you know, I, I really thought that Denver was very, very good. They they played a style of hockey that, you know, stressed defense and and clogging up passing lanes and making it very, tif- tif- very difficult. Excuse me, on offensive teams. And then their goaltender, Philip Larson, stood on his head. He stopped 50 of, all, of 50 shots on the weekend, and he's just a freshman. And when you're riding a hot goaltender and you've got a confident goaltender, a lot can go well for you, and it did for Denver.
0: Well, there was a lot going against Denver this weekend. They had a first-year head coach. They had a goalie tandem in a situation they were trying to figure out a true number one. They were taking on one of the greatest offenses in college hockey this year, featuring Leksinski and Yobst. Tell me about how they were able to clamp down on them, turn them out, and move on.
1: Well, they just clogged up the middle. And the thing is, Ohio State carried the play in that first period. I, I think they outshot DU 12-5 to in the first 20 minutes, so it was really uh, incumbent upon the goaltender to play well to keep them in it early, and he did. And so that was really the key for the rest of the weekend for the Pioneers. I mean, Philip Larson standing on his head made, made some really good saves because Ohio State, which had two weeks off since their last game in the, in the Big Ten tournament, worked on a lot of things. You could tell that they came ready to play, but they had to have been frustrated because they you know they outplayed Denver in the first period, but didn't have the lead. And that really goes to what Larson was able to do. Um, you know, they, it, it's just the style they've played all year. They may not be as veteran of a team as as Denver has taken to pass pros and fours, but this is certainly as talent, talented of a team. And the coaching is really good. I know David Carl is in his first year, but he's got some really good guys on his staff. Uh, Tavis McMullen, uh, you know, Dallas-Ferguson, these guys know how to coach, and, and they have helped a young rookie coach along the way here this year. And their structure was very sound throughout the tournament. And um, to have back-to-back shutouts against uh, the two teams that they beat. Uh, really says a lot. This team goes into the national Final Four, Frozen Four I should say, with a lot of confidence.
0: Well, you talk about David Carl, the youngest coach in Division One hockey this year at 29 years old in his rookie season. He takes over for Jim Montgomery, who takes over the Dallas Stars in the off season. They don't seem to have missed a beat, though. They're back to the Frozen Four for the second time in three years. What similarities do you see between Carl and Montgomery, and how has the team evolved over the course of the season?
1: Well, you know, from what I've been told, and, the, you know, I, I'm not a... I'm not with them all year, but from what I've seen and what I've been told is that David Carl has essentially continued to move along with the program's philosophies and the structure and the detail that not only Jim Montgomery had, but George Guazdecki had before him. This is the 12th straight year that Denver made the national tournament. And that spans three different coaches over that 12 years. So it, what does it tell you? It tells you that, yeah, they've got, they've had three really talented head coaches, obviously, uh, because it, it takes something not to screw it up, too. But obviously they've all bought into what Denver already had there, and that goes to what George built up over several years. And so I what I think is, David, who's been on staff under both Gwazdeki and Montgomery, just continued to do what Denver does. And that shows wisdom beyond his years. I mean, he's 29, but he's smart enough to know that if it's not broke, don't fix it. And and it's a very, very structured, very disciplined Denver team. And it would not shock me if they win it all. Here's the thing, though. They've got to go up against... Minnesota Duluth potentially, and that is scary this time of year because I don't know if there's a better team in the NCAA tournament in the last, you know, 15, 20 years than UMD. Uh, we saw that again this weekend. When they get playing in the national tournament, even if it's overtime, bet on UMD uh, because Scott Sandlin knows how to coach.
0: Talking with Clay Matvick, College Hockey Insider at ESPN. He called the Western Regional in Fargo over the weekend. Clay, you had the opportunity to call the AIC upset over top seeded St. Cloud, another early exit for the Huskies after being tournament favorites. Did you kind of sense that there was going to be something special happening that night, or was it a surprise to you?
1: Well, we were all surprised because we thought this was the best St. Cloud St- State team we'd seen in a long time. Um, even though they were the number one seed last year, Um, Air Force has had a program for a long, long time, and and Frank Saratori is as good of a coach as there is in Atlantic hockey and and one of the better ones uh, across the country, to be honest. So from that standpoint, um, you you know, it was an upset, but you weren't completely shocked. Things happen in college hockey. This is different because AIC had really not had a program that was even worth mentioning for 20 years. And they're in their first tournament appearance. They only had two seniors, so this just didn't seem to add up. And especially with St. Cloud State bringing so many guys back, and their lone mission this year was to make sure that it didn't happen again. Yeah, it was a huge surprise. And I think I brought it up on the air about five minutes into the game. It's it's like okay, you know, here we are. We're five six minutes into the hockey game, and there's no score, and it even looks like AIC's carrying the play. And you can just hear the St. Cloud State fans thinking, oh, man, here we go again. If I'm thinking of it up in the booth, and the fans are thinking, you know what the players are thinking about. It? And that's where, you know, they start to grip the sticks, things get a little tight. And sure enough, you know, AIC scores the first goal. And and it was, it was just a hard-working goal at the side of the net. And when they popped it in, it was just like, hmm. Even though St. Claude State has the more talent and everything says that this should be a 6-1 to hockey game, it's not going to be that. And if, and if AIC has a puncher's chance in the third period, I'm going with AIC. And, uh, you know, you could just feel it. And sure enough, well, it ended up being 2-1, and the one goal that St. Claude State scores was, was fairly fluky. It went off a helmet on the power play.
0: Well, Clay, I want to get your thoughts on this. According to the Pairwise rankings, St. Cloud State has now been the losing team in three of the five biggest upsets in all of the NCAA hockey tournament's history. Could it have anything to do with the size of ice that they play their home games on? St. Cloud State plays their home games on an Olympic sheet of ice. That's not used during the NCAA tournament. Could that have anything to do with their postseason struggles?
1: You know what? Uh, Dave Sterman and I were talking about that off the ice, uh, off the air, I should say, about the ice. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, that is something that could, could possibly be a factor, um, you know, because they, they haven't had a ton of success at the XL Energy Center in St. Paul when they played in the, the Frozen Five, either, the conference tournament. Um, yeah, they play. They were 17-0-1 at home at uh, the National Hockey Center in St. Cloud, and they dominate there. They just dominate against really good competition in that league and their non-conference schedule. (laughs) But they play on an Olympic-sized sheet of ice where skilled players have more room to operate. And then you get into a national tournament setting where they're uh, playing against uh, teams that also have skilled guys but don't necessarily uh, play on Olympic-sized sheets of ice all year. I I think that that might be somewhat of a neutralizing factor, for them, um, these Olympic-sized sheets of ice are starting to fade away, and uh, I know Minnesota's considering shrinking the size of their ice. I don't know if Saint Cloud State's going to go that way or not, but I, I can't I can't think that that might not be a factor. That you know they get so used to playing on that big ice surface, uh, at least for their home games all year, and then when they get to the tournament. Uh, everything kind of shrinks down to size and they don't nearly have as much elbow room.
0: Clay, how about the atmosphere out there in Fargo? Looking on TV, I saw plenty of green jerseys, a lot of Sioux, a lot of Hawks jerseys. North Dakota fans turned out in support even though their team failed to make the NCAA tournament again. Tell me about the atmosphere and the attendance out there in Fargo this weekend.
1: Well, it was really pretty good, all things considered. Yeah, they... They had hoped that North Dakota was going to be there. I'm sure the NCAA hoped that because it would have meant a, a bigger gate. But they, they did a pretty good job turning out, and especially on Friday night when St. Cloud was in it. Uh, you know, the building was, I would say, three-fourths, four-fifths full on Friday night. You know, Saturday night with AIC and Denver, which don't have big fan bases to start with, and then being geographically, uh, you know, handicapped. It was not a big crowd, but North Dakota fans that are just pure hockey fans who had already purchased tickets did show up. And so, you know, the building was, was hardly quiet, and it's a great little venue. It's only 5,000-seat arena, and uh, so it's packed tight anyway. So what you need is, you know, fifteen to 2,500 in there anyway just to have some good atmosphere, and we had that. Uh, North Dakota fans are really good fans. It's just now this is two years in a row where they've been the host institution in the West and haven't been able to get a team in. And I know that that's, you know, nagging on Bradbury, but they'll get it figured out up there. They're they're too good of a program, and they have been for many years to not figure it out. Um, they will. But it was an interesting field this year when you consider that, you know, the Minnesotas, the Michigans, the North Dakotas, BC, BU... Who else am I missing? Wisconsin, I mean, those six, seven programs right there, you know, constitute about forty national championships, and none of them made the field. I think what it does is it speaks to the parity in college hockey, and the how hard it is to sustain excellence now, because the talent pool is so spread out. Um, and, and it's geographically becoming more and more spread out. As you see Arizona State building a program, uh, you know, the talk is that in California, the Pac-12 is going to eventually get something going. It sounds like Illinois is going to have a program here in the near future. It's, it, and, and if it sounds like it won't work, don't believe it. It will work because there's just way too many talented kids now uh, playing the sport Regardless of whether it's California, Florida, Texas, Maine, Washington State, all of the corners of the country are covered, and all points in between. So college on the rise. Parity is on the rise, and it's going to continue to be like this. Where, you know, the the years of Minnesota, Michigan, uh, Boston College, BC, dominating the sport are pretty much over. I, not that they're not going to have years where they. They, they win the championship or have back-to-back years where they get to the Frozen four. That's going to continue to happen. But we're going to see years where a team like AIC pulls the upset in round one. And a, a team in its first year of existence, like Arizona State, not, not first year of existence, but essentially a first-year program as far as having their first taste of success, gets to the national tournament, Arizona State, this is going to continue to happen because there are just too many good players out there.
0: Want well, to go off that, do you see anybody who didn't make the NCAA tournament this year that really looks primed to do something special next season? I look at teams like Tony Granado's Wisconsin Badgers squad. Do you see anybody based on their body of work, who they have returning, what they're building there, anybody that looks poised to have a breakout season next year? Sure.
1: Yeah, you know, the Big Ten had a down year, let's be honest. Uh, they get two teams in, and the team that ended up winning the thing was really struggling down the stretch in Ohio State. Um, but you, you've got so much money in Wisconsin and Minnesota and places like that that it's going to be hard to keep them down. Um, the NCHC is still, to me, the best league in the country. Um, and and Now take that for what it's worth. I don't see a ton of the East until... Uh, probably February and March when I'm starting to study up for who might be in the tournament. Uh, But, uh, you know, I do see enough of the NCHC to know that that's still, you know, top to bottom the most competitive league. I say look out for Miami. I think they're going to get that thing figured out. Um, They're going to make a coaching change there. Uh, Rico Blasi, uh, you know, leaves a very, very healthy program. Yeah, hasn't won here like it should in the last few years, but that's a healthy program that just needs – a new voice to lead it. I I, I think Miami's going to be down for a very short time, and they'll be back. But uh, you know, it's it's just it's going to be good again next year. College hockey is is very very healthy. It's growing, and uh, it's it's always fun to be a part of this in March.
0: Talking with Clay Matvick, college hockey insider at ESPN. He covered the Western Regional in Fargo this weekend. Clay, you had the call for AIC's upset over St. Cloud State. To you, was that the biggest surprise of the tournament, or was there something else that caught your eye? Um, I
1: thought, yeah, that, that that's by far the biggest surprise of the weekend um, because you know it might be the biggest upset in the history of the tournament, uh, depending on who you ask. But I, for my money, it was the biggest upset of the weekend. Uh, you know, I, I thought Minnesota Duluth nearly bowing out to Bowling Green in the first round was uh, was shocking. I, I didn't I didn't expect Minnesota Duluth to struggle as as much as they did, but they did win, and that's the bottom line. Minnesota State's got a little bit of a thing um, like Saint Cloud State does, uh, and and for them to lose in the first round was was disappointing. But the thing is, they got a tough draw. They had they had to play Providence in Providence. And, you know, I, if up to if it's up to me, I think that that should be changed. If you deserve a one seed, then you shouldn't be punished by playing a team on their home ice. Um, you know, if Providence has to be in the tournament because they're the host, I get that. But make them the three seed then. Don't make the one seed have to play the four. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh but maybe that wouldn't have changed things for the Mavericks because maybe they just had an off day. From what I could tell, it just it kind of it kind of imploded on them. They had the three nothing lead and then they, you know, lose six three. So Minnesota State's got to get over that thing of uh, of like the Saint State has is they at some point have to slay the beast, exercise the demons, and get past that first round because their NCA track record here in recent years isn't very good either.
0: Well, Clay, we now know who's heading to Buffalo here in a couple of weeks. UMass, Providence, Denver, Duluth. What do we watch for in Buffalo?
1: Well, Denver's going to play a defensive style, and that's and that's really significant this time of year. Um, I, I would not, I think the best coach team in the tournament right now is Duluth. Scott Sandlin and his staff, they've been there, they've done it. They've got kids still on the team, like Parker McKay, their captain, who've been there, done it. They've got extreme, extreme tournament savvy, and that is that is hard to root against. Um, so I, my pick right now is Duluth, and, and uh, we'll go with that. But uh, who knows? <laughs> Call me in two weeks, and we'll find out what happened. But I, I think uh, Minnesota Duluth is really hard to beat this time of year.
0: ESPN's Clay Matvick, kind enough to come on air with us and give us the inside scoop on the college hockey scene. Clay, always good talking to you. Would love to have you on again sometime.
1: Hey, you bet. My, my pleasure, Tanner. Take
0: care. Well, take a time, Matt. When we come back, we break down a great weekend of college basketball next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP.
1: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen,
0: weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. My thanks again to Clay Matvick, kind enough to stop on air gives way to Charlie Bramer back in the studio with us. What's up, Charlie? I am glad to be here after a couple-week hiatus. It is just great to be back. Well, I tell you what, you're coming in at a good time because opening day was this weekend. We had our first taste of real baseball. We had basketball that really exceeded expectations this weekend, should we say. This might have been the greatest weekend of NCAA tournament games in all of What, history? That might be an over-exaggeration, but it might not be too far off, man. It's hard to beat a weekend like this. Well,
2: you know, there were some games in the Sweet 16 that left a lot to be desired. Um, And there were games where it didn't look like it was going to be close, and it ended up being close at the end. So I I agree with you. It's one of the better, uh, at least from the Sweet 16 on, Elite 8 on, it's been one of the better tournaments in recent memory for me.
0: You had Kentucky coming down to the wire yesterday with Auburn. Auburn punches their ticket to the Final Four for the first time ever. Virginia forcing overtime at the buzzer and coming back to beat Purdue despite Carson Edwards' mammoth performance. And, of course, the one everyone's talking about last night when Michigan State knocks off Duke in D.C. and Sparty is on to the Final Four in Minneapolis this weekend. I love
2: being able to root for Michigan State feels really good to be able to root for a Big Ten team. It, it, it's just uh, – do you do that? Do you stick with your conference? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, except like
0: for the, this year. I'm not going with Virginia because no. I can't stand Virginia. <laughs> that's Why don't you like Virginia? Because they've let me down so many times in March. I kind of resent them. I've always picked them to go far in the bracket. This year I didn't, and now they go far. And that's that's
2: my thing with Gonzaga is I won't root for Gonzaga mm-hmm. because I know if I – like let's say I don't bet typically – but I know if I were to bet on Gonzaga, they would quickly lose, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm glad um, I didn't bet on that Texas Tech Gonzaga
0: game because I would have picked Gonzaga. Well, I tell you what, Texas Tech has been a fun team to watch this year with that stifling defense they have. Spartan fans won't like this because Izzo is deserving. I'm not saying that, but I think Chris Beard is even more deserving for NCAA Coach of the Year this year. Oh yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. To just you can tell with his team, it's a it's
2: a mentality. Mm-hmm. They definitely. Obviously, most every uh, Izzo coach team has, has a very strong, forceful mentality as well. But this Texas Tech, these players have bought in, and they love their coach. And they just they get it done, and they have that mentality. I, I just love it, that hard nose mentality.
0: They're fun to watch. So four different conferences will be represented at this year's Final Four coming up this weekend in Minneapolis. Uh, We did a fan vote, and this might be our most unscientific fan vote that we've done on Twitter. Who will be the Final Four champion this year? Can you guess who our listeners picked with 65% of the vote to win the Final Four? Not, Not Michigan State. It is Sparty. Sparty is the choice of the fans, 65% of the vote. I don't know how scientific that is. Maybe a little listener bias. Either way, I'm behind Sparty. I think they're going to be a lot of fun to watch in this Final Four. Virginia with 15%, the next highest vote getter. Texas Tech 13 and Auburn 7. I don't know who is the real winner this weekend, but I'm guessing whoever was with Charles Barkley last night has got to be up there as far as real winners of the weekend.
2: Yeah, I I heard them talking. Wingo was saying that... uh... Being around uh, Charles Barkley is great to begin with, but if Auburn's winning, then Mm -hmm. you're going to have the time of your life. That's what they were saying.
0: Hey, and Chuck's been waiting for this one for a long time, the round mound of rebound. Yeah, it's about time that he got his team through, and I'm okay with him celebrating it. I know as an analyst, you're supposed to be unbiased. I'm okay with Chuck Barkley showing his colors a little bit, showing his pride. I'm all right with that because he's been waiting a long time for this one.
2: Yeah, and that's exactly why. If it was, uh, it, I mean... Obviously, if they had Christian Leitner doing games, you would expect him to always be pulling for Duke. But it's fun to have an analyst pulling for a team that doesn't
0: necessarily win a lot all the time tell you what, neither of our fan votes were very close. We did one for the Frozen Four, too, because that field is set. Who would be the Frozen Four champion? 48% said Duluth. They think Minnesota, Duluth will repeat. 18% for UMass, Denver, and Providence each got 17. So digressing from basketball just a little bit. But how about yesterday's finish to the Michigan State Duke game? Here's my problem with that. As soon as R.J. Barrett got the ball, when they were down by three with eight seconds left, I thought, okay, they're going to go for the three. They're going to try and win it. But then he starts driving to the basket. If the design play was to go to the basket, go for the tie, and get the two, why did Zion not get the ball? Don't tell me about the job Michigan State was doing defensively. This is all that Zion's been doing. This is why he's a phenom is because triple teams don't matter to him. He still gets it in the biggest moment, and he still converts. Why did Zion not get the ball with eight seconds left if they were going to the basket?
2: The only thing I can think is it was a prime example of overcoaching. I've I've seen it. I I haven't seen it so much with my teams this year, um, but in the past, I've seen guys. Okay, they're they're double teaming our number one player. So in crunch time, we're gonna pull a fast one on them and get it to so and so. You know, because because they think they have a matchup or whatever. When there's ten seconds or less in a game, that is overcoaching and you would like to think Coach K would be the last guy to make that mistake. Right. I'm
0: thinking either that happened or somebody was not, somebody's in big trouble. Right, right, because if RJ's getting the ball, I'm thinking he's going to shoot. You know, if they're going for three in the win, then I understand giving it to RJ over Zion, but if they're trying to attack the basket, doesn't matter if he's got three guys on him, Zion is going to get to the basket. That's exactly why he came to Duke, moments like that. And he doesn't even get the ball. I don't think he got it the last two possessions.
2: Yeah, and and it, it's it's very strange. I've heard people today talking about, oh, that's not how Zion's going to want to leave the NCAA. He 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 might come back. This that and the other thing. He knows his money's going to be there after his injury troubles this year. Mm-hmm. A, that alone I think would keep him from coming back to NCAA playing basketball for, for free. No, thank you. Um, but but that right there not getting the ball in crunch time, why would he want to come back again for that? Mm
0: -hmm. If anyone tells you that Zion is thinking about coming back to Duke next season, immediately drop any sports credibility for them. It's just (laughs) not going to happen.
2: Right, yeah, don't believe anything else to say about sports. That is a good, that's a very safe way to play it.
0: The sad thing about that is, though, the next time Zion plays a meaningful basketball game, will probably be when he's on the wrong side of 30 because he's going to go to the Knicks. Same with R.J. Barrett. He's going to go to Cleveland. That will be the last meaningful game either of them will play until they're 30-plus years old. You don't think they could make it meaningful? Just nope. Th- their presence wouldn't make it meaningful? Well, it wouldn't be meaningful like for a postseason chase. It'd be kind of like what Devin Booker does out there in Phoenix. Like He's hard to read. He's a great scorer, but he's never played a meaningful NBA game in his life, and I'm not sure that he will. It's going to be the same way with Zion and RJ unless they go somewhere else or they get some pieces around them. And I really thought New York had something going. And and I thought,
2: you know, obviously talked about them now, it's a weird time to be talking about the Knicks, but there were some teams that will be picking high this year in the draft, like the Hawks again and, and the Knicks again. I thought in the future we were going to look back and think, oh, that Porzingis um, – uh, injury was almost a blessing in disguise because it allowed them to get Zion and then now they've got two legitimate stars and obviously that's not going to be the case anymore no no.
0: poor Knicks they're in this endless rut of being owned by James Dolan and (laughs) scaring away everybody who could potentially come and make their franchise better I tell you what looking at stat of the day I found a bunch of stats of the day I could not pick just one So I've got like a list of stats of the day. (laughs) Tell me what you think about some of these. So for the 14th year in a row, one seed loses in the first round of the college hockey tournament. Again, that's historic. If that were to happen in basketball, it's only happened once. It's happened 14 years in a row in hockey. This year, it happened twice. Oddly enough, there are going to be more hockey number ones in the national semifinals than there are basketball number ones, even though more fell in the first round this year.
2: Yeah, and and I don't know, that's... You see more more parity, I guess, so to speak, in the first couple of rounds in the hockey tournament, but it is kind of funny the way you put it there. It's not something you would have expected then.
0: Based on the pairwise algorithm, three of the five biggest upsets in the history of the NCAA hockey tournament have occurred in the last four seasons, and the loser in all three of those games has been St. Cloud State. They lost to Ferris State, who was 30th out of the 60 teams in 2016. They lost to Air Force, who was 27th in the Parawise out of 60 teams last year. And on Friday, they lost to the 31st out of 60 AIC, who was playing in their first ever NCAA tournament game. And then the other one seed to go down this weekend was Minnesota State of Mankato, who has been to the tournament five times in the last seven years. Their all-time tournament record is 0-6. They blew a 3-0 lead after one period, lose 6-3. I would not have guessed that Matt no. Kato has
2: not won a game in that no. tournament. No, as that good as they've
0: been, they've never won in the NCAA tournament. Wow. What else do we have for stat of the day? This one getting into a little more of the basketball side of things. Carson Edwards is the first player with multiple 40-point games in a single NCAA tournament since Bo Kimball back in the 1990s. Uh, He's also the highest scorer in a single NCAA tournament since Derrick Rose back in 2008 when Memphis lost to Kansas in the national title game. Uh, Here's a little Minnesota twin stat. This weekend, Jose Barrios and Jake Odorizzi became just the second pair of teammates that each recorded at least 10 strikeouts in the first two games of an MLB season. The only other duo ever to do so, Kurt Schilling and Randy Johnson of the 2001 Diamondbacks. So... If that has anything to foreshadow the twin season, I'm pretty happy.
2: I witnessed the 2001 Arizona Diamondbacks team play in person a couple times. Is that things. right? They beat up, uh, yeah, I was nine years old. They I got to watch them beat up on my Brewers at Brand, brand New Miller Park. Oh, well, they beat up everybody that year. I got to see kurt chilling and randy johnson pitch there you go at the time you know you're just a little kid don't think anything of it now it's a lot of fun to be able to look back on those memories and that's just gotta love baseball for the memories
0: well they won the world series that year so if that's any indication well maybe i'm betting on the twins this season hey yeah and Jake
2: Odorizzi. there's uh he was involved in the brewer's trade to zach granke yes and, hey, i just love how
0: baseball is ties together one way or another And finally, for stat of the day, Saturday night, Russell Martin, a catcher for the Dodgers, seems like he's been around forever. He did something that has not been accomplished in almost a century. He pitched the final inning of Saturday night's win over Arizona. He became the first position player to pitch and record the final three outs of a nine-inning game that his team won since 1925. Usually, you put those position players in when you're getting blown out and you don't waste your bullpen arms you put in a catcher in a game that you're winning and he gets the final three outs
2: that's impressive Mm -hmm. and there are rules uh going to be implemented i believe next year as far as what you can do is uh because um with with baseball going to 26 guys um there's going to be designations for two-way players they have to have special designations and it's going to put a lot of uh I guess it's just going to take away from a coach's ability or a manager's ability to put position players on the
0: mound uh, aside from certain blowout situations. Charlie Bramer's in the studio with us. We owe you a timeout when we come back. The Brewers and the Tigers, both pretty good starts to the season. We break them down next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP.
1: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN UP and on the ESPN UP app.
0: Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN UP. Tanner Hoops Charlie Bramer with you just across the bottom of the hour on your Monday afternoon. Here's your Sports Center update. The New York Yankees have placed Giancarlo Stanton on the 10 day injured list with a left bicep strain. Yankees are running short on outfielders. They currently have three healthy outfielders on their entire 40-man roster. James Hart interrupted for a 50-point triple-double on Saturday as the Rockets eliminated the Kings from postseason contention, officially solidifying the eight teams who will qualify for the Western Conference playoffs this season. And finally... Minnesota Twins pitcher Martin Perez returned to the Major League Mound yesterday after shattering his pitching elbow in a freak accident during the offseason. Martin Perez has been in the league since about 2013. He spent his entire career with the Texas Rangers. He was signed by the Twins in January. He was involved in a freak accident in his native country, Venezuela, where he owns a ranch. He's a professional baseball player here. He's a rancher in Venezuela during the winter So he was charged by a bull on his home ranch in Venezuela. As he got out of the way, he fell and he landed on his elbow, shattered his pitching elbow. He was frustrated at himself. He was frustrated at the bull. So as he recovered and he made his way back to the majors, he killed and ate the bull. I was going to ask you, I was going to be like, did he butcher the bull and then the eat, ball.
2: eat that and and work out and literally the bull fueled his body back to the major league it round did. and could you imagine being a professional first of all making it out of venezuela to be a professional baseball player and then all of a sudden you're back in venezuela a bull charges you He probably slipped and fell in the bull cow patty and is laying there with a shattered elbow like, am I ever going to get out of Venezuela again? And that is just a wonderful
0: story. Perez was quoted as saying, it was good meat, no more bull. So he made his return (laughs) to the mound yesterday, pitched pretty well for Minnesota, got the win in relief. Uh, The plan is to make him the fifth starter. Right now, the Twins are carrying four starters because the schedule works out where they don't need a fifth starter for the first couple of weeks of the season. So the plan is to slowly work him back to being a starter by giving him some long relief outings like they did yesterday. And we'll see. I mean, as a Twins fan, I certainly root for him. As a fan of baseball, I'm rooting for him. So he looked good yesterday. It was encouraging, a good microcosm of success. Yeah, and isn't it just amazing Ten years
2: ago, I mean, we're talking not that long ago. Like I, When I was in high school, guys having these elbow injuries, shoulder injuries, they were a little bit. But it seemed like elbow injuries, man. That was just devastating. Now they're giving guys, they're redoing guys' elbows as preventative measures. Mm-hmm. Guys are gaining velocity from having these elbow from UCLs and Tommy Johns and different repairs. It is incredible how far they have come just within the last decade really five within the last five years how far they've come and him being back on the mound this quick is really a testament to that
0: well i tell you what the twins weren't the only ones in action this weekend brewers and tigers both get the season started I think both fan bases got to be pretty happy with how opening weekend went. The Tigers, I know, didn't have high expectations for this year. They won two exciting games north of the border, and they split the four-game series against the Jays. And Christian Yelich is picking up right where he left off last season. Four home runs in as many games. Walks off St. Louis yesterday. As a Brewers fan, how about your thoughts on opening weekend?
2: The Brewers bullpen is really giving me a cause for concern. Is that right? Um... Alex Wilson came out, obviously Tigers fans are going to be very familiar with him. Mm-hmm. um He's been one of their better bullpen pieces for the last four or five years. He came in, struck out Paul Goldschmidt. I believe that was on his his three homer game. he had come a- anyways struck out goldschmidt uh got through the next inning um unscathed um but guys like T- Taylor Williams guys that can really throw we know they've got it um they've done it. At the professional level before, um, Taylor Williams had a stretch last year. His first 30 appearances, I think he had an ERA under two, and the second half he really fell off. That Brewers bullpen, those guys are going to have to pick it up. Josh Hader is Josh Hader through his first nine batter's face. He struck out seven of them. had an immaculate inning to close out the game the other day. Obviously, Christian Yelich is just Mr. Consistent. Mm. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt had, had a really hot game. But somehow Christian Yelich, they each got four home runs, but somehow Christian Yelich finds a way to contribute every single game. It's like, can't the guy have an offer just <laughs> once? I mean, I, obviously I don't want him to have an offer, but it seems like he needs to just so I can confirm he's still human. Right. Um, The rest of the lineup has actually been fairly uh, – they haven't been getting on base like I am used to. Guys like Jesus Aguilar – um Orlando Arcia very poor start to the season. He's trying to hit he's trying to go to right field. Orlando Arcia is successful when he can hit the ball the opposite way. But just just literally Lorenzo Cain making catches. He had that game-saving catch um on opening day, but earlier in that game he had a, a diving catch that saved some runs and literally just Lorenzo Cain's defense and Lorenzo Cain getting on base. And Christian Yelich has been enough for this Brewers team. Travis Shaw has added a little bit, but but there are some other guys that have been really cold, and some other guys out of the bullpen that are really going to need to pick it up for this team to be successful. Because Josh Hader cannot go out there every day and be expected to be a freak, be be the pitching version of Christian Yelich. They're going to have to pick it up. I mean, they're saying. Jeremy Jeffers will be back within a month, but is he going to be 100%? Um, obviously, Corey Knable's done for the year.
0: What's up with Craig Kimbrell? Yep, he's still out there. I I wonder, is he just going to take the whole year off? I'm wondering. I mean, somebody could pick him up. I know he didn't have a great World Series last year. He didn't have a great postseason, but can he pitch? Absolutely he can. Yep. He's the guy you want with the ball in his hands late inning. And and totally. and and,
2: But it's going to take some guys holding out and taking years off. For for them to get the big contracts, and and obviously we're seeing guys like Bryce Harper, Manny Machado, but it's pitchers right. that that it's really more just pitchers that aren't getting their big deal that which frankly I I feel they're owed it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it's oh they're holding out. What's what's thirty million over twenty five? What's the difference? Well these guys deserve it because MLB is making money off their backs. They deserve the money. And it's going to take guys like Craig Kimbrel holding out for a whole year. So teams take this stuff seriously. Because if he just signs a one-year deal with somebody and gets hurt this year, I mean, he's totally screwed. So it's really best for him to probably just hold out for the whole year unless – somehow he miraculously finally gets that multi-year deal he's been looking for which I don't think that would happen in the middle of a season
0: well Jacob DeGrom locks in a five-year deal and that's the thing with pitching is it's so spotty it can go out on you at any yep. time that you're going to want to get those long-term deals and DeGrom seemed to start a new trend in that sense Trevor Bauer is about to be on an expiring deal for the Cleveland Indians he would be a guy that would be a hot commodity this off-season. And he's more or less teasing that his plan, oddly enough, is to only sign one-year deals for the rest of his career. They there has been wh- when did that
2: start? Was that uh, there was there was somebody in the '90s that was famous for that? And I, I I can't remember his name offhand. Um, but they 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 you know mathematically that you play it out. If you can count on yourself, and if you magically don't get injured, doing year-to-year deals. It can really maximize your uh, money-making potential throughout your career. Um, It's what brought Yasmani Grandal to the Brewers and a lot of other deals throughout baseball, these one-year deals, guys like Brian Dozier's and other guys that really deserve multi-year deals, more pitchers than anything because – baseball is really going in a trend of these younger guys can throw and they're realizing analytically and it's kind of thanks to analytics that these pitchers aren't getting their multi-year deals because they're looking at the analytics and realizing that the back end of these deals these these teams are really getting screwed on these deals and and younger guys that have the stuff are fairly comparable analytically, so teams like the Brewers—they're throwing out 20-year-old, 21-year-old Freddie Peralta when there are guys. Obviously, Craig Kimbrel's not a starter, but there's other starters out there that could match or probably exceed Freddie Peralta's uh, what he's going to give you on the field. But it's that money thing, and they're willing to take that four ERA instead of a three ERA to save 20 million dollars a year because they feel they can make it up in other areas of their squad. And I just think it's so strange. Even teams, you know, like, for instance, Christian Yelich signing that deal to avoid arbitration with the Marlins, that's been a total win for the Brewers. Travis Shaw's been trying to get a multi-year extension to avoid all these arbitration years. They won't... There, there's just so much going on in baseball. I don't understand as far as the contracts and what's going on with this. Because the money's there. I don't really understand why the players aren't getting it.
0: The Tigers win twice in 11 innings over the weekend, and again, they didn't have high expectations coming into this year, but Christian Stewart gives the fan base a lot to feel good about, and people wondered if Castellanos has anything left in the tank, and old Nicholas drives in the winning run yesterday.
2: Oh, Nick is just, I believe he's a bit of a late bloomer as far as MLB goes. I think he's going to be a solid bat. He's going to be a 20 homer, 80-90 RBI guy for a long time. His on base percentage is coming up he's picking better pitches to swing at, and usually that's it's in their late twenties is when a typical when that really starts to click, so it's really clicking for him now he's a little older um I think the Tigers can really this year if he can hold on and have a good first half they'll be able to get some a decent return on him um you look at the return they got on Justin Verlander and some other guys who, with how good they're still playing. But I was really disappointed to see Miguel Cabrera get get hit by a pitch. Mm-hmm. He's, he's obviously playing through that. Last year he said he wasn't going to play through injury anymore. He's playing through this injury, and he's gone 0 for 6 since he got hit. I just wish – you know, as soon as an older player starts playing – when a guy's younger, they say, oh, his production's down because he's injured. When a guy's older, as soon as his production starts to dip, even if for just a few days, it's because he's older. It's not because he's hurt. Right. Even though it's because he's hurt. And I just – Really hope, Miguel Cabrera, I know you're not listening, but if somehow telepathically you can hear me, don't play hurt, man, because you're way better than what we've seen out of you lately. His hard-hit contact, um, his barreled balls, he's still right up there statistically at the top of the league. The guy can rake. He's just been really bad luck injuries, and I don't know why people are thinking he doesn't have it anymore. He's just been playing injured.
0: Well, I tell you what, we got a little less than a minute before the break. We have got both those teams in action tonight. You've got the Brewers visiting the Reds. You're going to see Tanner Rourke, a guy who isn't the same guy he was a few years ago, against Zach Davies. Tigers go over to take on the Yankees, who dropped two out of three against Baltimore, believe it or not. Tell me a quick preview of those two. Well, I really think the Tigers
2: have an opportunity to steal a couple games from the Yankees. Um, I feel like the Yankees really play down to teams. Um, At least that's what happened, I think, over the first series. Uh, The Brewers, this is a huge game for the Brewers. Zach Davies, this is 200 innings that they did not get last year. This, between Zach Davies and Jimmy Nelson, that could potentially be 400 innings, 350 strikeouts, These two guys coming back from injury are the reason why the Brewers did not sign a big-name free agent. One of the three younger guys, whether it's Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, or Corbin Burns, is going to be knocked out of the rotation for the return of Jimmy Nelson. Corbin Burns struck out 12 through five innings uh, yesterday. So I think Freddie Peralta is going to be the one to get knocked from the rotation. But... Zach Davies has to get back to form he's he's kind of like a poor man's Kyle Hendricks Mm -hmm. and I really think he has the potential to be Kyle Hendricks and he won't just be a poor man's Kyle Hendricks so if 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 he can get back to form get back to that three and a quarter three and a half ERA is exactly what the Brewers need to get through this regular season
0: looking forward to seeing a revamped Reds lineup too. see what that looks like for the first time that's
2: it's gonna be a lot of fun it's it looks scary. It, it could is be the dark horse in that division. They had the best hitting infield in all of baseball, as far as I'm concerned, last year. Tucker Barnhart is about as underrated as catcher as it gets. The yep. guy has a cannon. He's just small. He's like this compact. Oh, he's just a, he is such a good catcher behind the plate. He's just got a cannon. He and he can hit. He can hit for power. But now Yasiel Puig looks right at home in Cincinnati, and he was always playing. I think. There was just something weird going on with him in L.A., and now with how he talks about it, he was not comfortable in L.A. Well, with how good he played in L.A., him not being comfortable, now that he's comfortable in Cincinnati, that mm-hmm. is just scary for NL Central, and I would not be surprised if the Reds and the Cubs flip-flop and the standings come the end of the year. The it- Cubs
0: pitching situation is off the charts terrible. Danner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. We owe you our last time out when we come back. Bucks and Pistons continue to fight for postseason positioning, plus – the most cruel April Fool's Day joke in all of sports. We'll tell you about it next in the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local
1: sports talk show, the Sports Pen, weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app.
0: Welcome back to the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Just about to the 5 o'clock hour. Tanner Hoops, Charlie Bramer with you. Hope your April Fool's Day is going well and you're being safe, being savvy on Twitter, on the Internet. Have you been pranked yet, Charlie? I have not been pranked, but I've kind of been in a bubble i I have I fell for one earlier. Oh, today. you got pranked. I fell for it before I share? even got out of bed. yeah, of course, I'll share right on. before I even got out of bed. I was on Twitter, just woke up, and I see breaking news. Blake Griffin has been shut down for the remainder of the Pistons season. And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. I mean, he missed their most recent game. He's going to miss tonight's game with left knee soreness. But I didn't think it was that serious. This is just on my brain. I'm getting ready for the day. I'm in the shower, and I'm still thinking about this. And I'm like, what day is it today? Maybe I better check the Internet. And then I do, and I'm like, oh, boy. Well, it got me, so we'll see how the rest of the day goes. But I tell you what, the best one I've heard all day, though, Happen amongst NFL coaches. Cliff Kingsbury and Sean McVay were a part of the greatest April Fool's Day joke that I've heard of all day. Those two are friends. They went out to eat together. They brought along Patrick Mahomes, who was Cliff Kingsbury's quarterback when he was at Texas Tech. So all three of these guys are together. Sean McVay concocts this scheme where he has a friend text him while they're all together going out to eat. He saves the friend's name in his phone as Roger Goodell, and he has the friend text him, I'm hearing that you and Kingsbury went out to eat together. You're in violation of tampering. I'm stripping you both of first round draft picks. And keep in mind, Kingsbury has the number one overall pick this year, and his team is banking on cashing that one in. Sean McVay shows Kingsbury the text, and Cliff turns white as a ghost, thinking he just lost the number one overall draft pick because he went out to eat with representatives from two different teams. His that's friends weren't conducting business or anything illegal, but it's going to look like tampering.
2: That's just brutal. That's all that is.
0: That was brutal. Poor Cliff. I mean, he's coming in a tough situation where he's going to get fired if he doesn't win immediately. He's got a team that's probably going to struggle this year. A lot of people don't think he should have that job and he's banking on getting the number 1 overall pick and <laughs> for a brief moment he thinks he's not going to have it
2: cuz not only does that number 1 pick does his job it depends on that number it depends on him hitting on that number 1 pick mm-hmm. much less having it at all. Do you so, imagine
0: if he were the one that cost Arizona that number 1 oh, pick, oh
2: man, it would be he might never get another job in the
0: NFL again. Uh, So Sean McVay had a little fun at Cliff Kingsbury's expense. That was the greatest April Fool's joke that I've heard all day. I did fall for the Blake Griffin thing. Uh,
2: I'm sure you weren't the only one.
0: Since then, I've been okay. Uh, Blake Griffin will, however, miss tonight's game against Indiana. The Pistons still fighting for postseason positioning out in the east. Milwaukee trying to bounce back after a rough one yesterday. They were up 17 in the first quarter. Ended up going to overtime in Atlanta. Trey Young wins it at the buzzer. Milwaukee's still the number one overall seed, and it's important to note that they were without Giannis yesterday. But let me ask you this. How are you liking Bonzi Coulson as a Bucs fan? And
2: that's so funny because I was going to bring that up to you. I was going to say, hey, another Notre Dame guy. Yes, Coulson looks like he, – he just looks like a prototypical guy that the Bucs would be looking for. Bigger athletic and guard multiple positions, can score – uh, can score off the dribble, make his own shot. Just a little inconsistent, a little inconsistent on both ends of the floor, but he's got it. He's got it. He. I think he's going to stick in the league. Um, I think, just going back to that Blake Griffin thing, I definitely would have fell for that. <laughs> I definitely would have fell for that just with his injury history. I think history. a lot of people did. But it is no joke that he's out tonight, and the Pistons need him. Um, are the Pistons the worst six seed you've seen in a while oh no I don't don't think think so So?
0: I don't think so uh they've won 11 straight at home obviously they're not going to get home court advantage and they've got to play Philadelphia in the first round but I don't think the expectation for them is to win even a playoff series this year uh just getting into the postseason and as high as they did I think is a big uh win for Detroit this season I don't think they were expecting too much out of them but they made some great moves this year to get them back in position they took a sinking ship and turned it around and I don't know that I don't think they're a bad sixth seed by any stretch. They're two games over five hundred and they've got a big one with Indiana tonight. Uh they're not gonna catch Indiana. No. But they've gotta keep pace over Brooklyn and Miami who are nipping on their heels. Uh the Eastern Conference playoffs starting to take shape just yeah. a little bit better. Uh I heard this. On ESPN Radio yesterday, I want to get your thoughts on it coming from a Bucks perspective. Last year, Milwaukee made the postseason. Uh, they weren't expected to do much. That was a win for them. It was kind of like the situation Detroit's in right now. I was going to say that. This year, the Bucks have been the number one seed for most of the season. If they don't win a playoff series... That's a big failure. Oh. So what is considered a win for Milwaukee this year? Is it winning a series? Is it two? Is it making the finals? Uh, will people be upset if they don't win the finals? As a Bucs fan, what's the expectation for them this year?
2: Personally, just because I've watched this team, I, I've probably watched at least 70 games, just knowing their their true potential— they almost beat Atlanta the other day. They didn't have Chris Middleton, they, uh, Pau Gasol, Miletic, or Miritich. I mean, they didn't – Brogdon, all these guys were out. Pat Connington, Sterling Brown, Tim Frazier played all 48 regular – uh, yeah, regular game minutes, and, and then the whole overtime. Tim Frazier, Bonzi Colson are starting for the Milwaukee Bucks, mm-hmm. and they still – I mean, oh, Sterling Brown had a beautiful drive. seconds. Trey young tipped in this freak shot. I mean, it was the Bucks should have won that game. Good thing for the Pistons. The bucks play the nets two out of the last five games. So that bodes really well. That bodes really well for the Pistons. And that's why everybody was sitting last night. Middleton was out all these guys because they're much more concerned about beating the nets. Um, they, I guess they probably thought that they were, could handle the Hawks with a lesser lineup. Um, all these guys are going to be going for the, against the Nets tonight. Pretty sure Giannis is going to play. Um, so so that's going to help the Pistons. But really, for me personally, this is the Bucks' year to win the title. I would be very disappointed if they didn't win the title. Analytically speaking, I mean, they're the best team in basketball kind of by far. I, I could make an argument for that. Obviously, there's arguments that could easily be made going the other way. But this is what i believe this is the best bas- bucks basketball team since 7071 possibly the best bucks team probably the bucks best probably the best bucks team that turned into a tongue twister that's ever existed so i'm really hoping that they can pull it out and make this their year because their this roster is not going to look the same next year but realistically i think they got to get to game 7 of the eastern conference finals and then from then on it's uh that That's that's a success, I would say.
0: Well, I tell you what, they will probably roll over whoever they get in the first round in four, maybe five games. Second round, they could either have Indiana or Boston. That's a tough I draw. I hope Indiana. Yeah, I mean, Boston's a tough draw. I mean, they are. But uh, yeah, Indiana, you would think, would be the more favorable matchup, especially without Oladipo. But if they were to go to six, seven games with Boston and lose that series, then how does the season look?
2: and that would that would be a total failure and they would really have to address what is going on with this franchise in the playoffs because they played they were up two games to one to toronto a few years ago Were playing them really well just got blown out in game four and then the series was over from there they lost in six um the way they lost to boston last year it was close they played fantastic defense it, it really comes down to closing out tough pressure games. Giannis was only 23 last year. You can tell every year he gets better at closing out these games. But he's not that jump-shooting type scorer that you typically rely on to close out games. That guy is Chris Middleton, and he has a tendency of he can hit really, really big shots, but not so far in the playoffs and I think that would that's gonna have to change. He's gonna have to hit a couple of them big shots come playoff time. Right now, it really seems like the Bucks aren't too concerned with getting to sixty wins. I think they're going to. They just have to go two and two their last four or five, two and three the last five games, two and two the last four. I'm not sure how many they have left exactly, but with with they're only up three games on the Raptors right now they're 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 pretty much guaranteed that one seed. So if they don't get to at least game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, that would have to be I mean, what 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 would you think? Just winning uh uh a playoff series. What?
0: Normally I would agree with you. In a normal year, I would agree with you that getting to at least 6 or 7 games in the conference finals would be considered a successful season but we're in a year where there are four teams that could represent the east in the finals that really could realistically do it I don't think bowing out to Boston in the playoffs would be a bad loss Indiana might Boston I don't think would be neither Toronto nor Philadelphia if you lose to any of those teams I don't think it would be a discipline it certainly would be disappointing to end the season that way but it wouldn't be a failure necessarily Here's my look
2: at if they lost to Boston in anything less than seven games. If you look at Boston's record this year, yeah, okay, that, that's a really big disc. But if you look mm-hmm. at their roster, their roster is better than finishing 12 games behind the Bucks. I And and honestly, I'm surprised the Bucks are up seven and a half games on the 76ers. But, yeah, any of those teams are good enough, man. And there is so much talent there in the top of the East – um, I just really hope that the Nets or the Pistons or Pacers can knock off one of these teams. That would make it so much easier for the Bucks because if 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 they can do that, if the Nets, Pistons, or Pacers can do that, the Bucks match up really well against those teams. So that's why I'm really hoping that it can happen.
0: Charlie Bramer's in the studio with us. We are out of time. Appreciate you as always. Try not to get fooled out there. Be safe when you're surfing the internet and stop sending me Swift gift request on Facebook. I don't know what that is. The next person who does it can go kick rocks.
2: Well, here's the deal. I haven't gone on Facebook in over a month, so Well then you're, you're safe. You don't have to worry about me sending anything on Facebook. I just might send you some long ranting text. <laughs> that's all you gotta worry about from me. <laughs> Blake's still worrying about those too, by the way.
0: <laughs> well, good to have you back on after a couple of weeks. Uh, that's it's it for us again in the Sports Pen. Tune in tomorrow same time and place on ESPN UPWZAM, Ishpeming Marquette.